Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Doing a little quickie show here on this lovely Thursday, June the 8th. Welcome to the program, everyone. This is Fantasy NBA Today. A sports ethos presentation, and I am your host. Who the hell am I? Dan Bespris. And you can... And you can hear my child in the background. Yeah, maybe start to get used to some of that, you know, as we enter the uh, summer months here. That was the little one now. You guys all you've grown with me here on this podcast or during the, uh, the COVID lockdown. You got to hear the older guy that would come in and out of the room constantly. I mean, the whole every day. That was equal parts adorable and also extraordinarily frustrating this is the little dude he's on a short summer break before we get him back into some kind of camp but uh anyway welcome to the program we're gonna go a little bit shorter here on this thursday um not gonna do a team breakdown today we've done that the last couple of days honestly i just don't want to do that too many shows in a row i think there's a certain i don't know enjoyment to uh breaking it up a little bit and we're kind of in the upper tier now of uh team breakdowns tomorrow we'll talk cleveland cavaliers next week we'll get into the kings probably the grizzlies we're kind of getting into the more uh upper crust of the nba teams at large and of course if you guys want breakdowns on all of these teams you can just head to sportsethos.com the um, just the fantastic writers fantasy pros over at at Sports Ethos, break these teams down, and they go through each player one by one. You get the the stats, you get an analysis of what's coming up for these guys, how they got to where they are. What I'm trying to do on these podcasts, and again, we're not going to do one of those today on the show, but the main goal for me in doing these team reviews is, I think, less about understanding what happened and more about trying to take what happened and pivot that into how can we use that going forward. That should be the way we analyze basically everything from a fantasy perspective. Great, it's wonderful to see what happened, but lookbacks are only useful insofar as what they tell us for the next wave. And that goes for pretty much everything. You know, you use lookbacks during the regular season, one week, two weeks, four weeks, whatever it is, to kind of try to get an idea of what a player is or what they can be because you want to have them, you want to add them, and you want to see what they're going to do at the next phase. And it's the same thing here. We look back at what these players have done over this most recent season and try to figure out what that tells us for next year as a whole. But I suppose you guys knew most of that already. Just kind of wanted to, I don't know, um, get into the theory of why we even do these things. Because there there could be a contingent of listeners, of fans that are looking at it like, what's the point? Like, things are going to change during free agency. I just, I think it's good for us to know what we should be banking on. What can free agency tell us? What sort of movement are we even expecting? I, I personally don't expect this to be a super heavy free agency offseason, but I suppose you never know. Today, uh, I mostly want to talk about the finals because we get these games so damn rarely that I feel like we can actually just kind of use a show to talk about them a little bit, where in previous rounds, we sort of wedged in like four or five minutes on the finals or on the uh, conference finals or previous rounds, whatever, because you had a lot of games going on. We do segments kind of breaking them up, 
pushing them into the different parts of the other shows. But I want to talk about Denver, Miami. And going into yesterday's ball game, I said on the podcast, I went back as, as far as Monday, and I said, I think Denver bounces back on the road. Just, I wasn't really particularly concerned about the home road situation for the Nuggets. I know they've been a very, very good home team. But most of what you saw in game two was number one, Miami shot the ball extraordinarily well from three point land. And that was the kind of, I mean, that's really been the thing that's kind of carried Miami throughout these playoffs. But I actually believed that in a lot of circumstances, or it, certainly in this series, they kind of need more than just a good three point shooting game. They needed a good three point shooting game. And then they also needed Denver to kind of forget uh, some stuff. And that's sort of what you got in Game 2, where the Nuggets were coasting along. They were up, what, six, eight points early in the fourth quarter, and then Miami just started raining threes in. I don't think that you could expect that to happen every single ball game. And sure enough, it's not what happened in this one. Nikola Jokic had another terrific game. He has been far and away the most important player for the Nuggets in the finals in a way that... Now, I thought Jamal Murray was more important against the Lakers, because... As great as Jokic's numbers looked in that Lakers series, his rebounding was probably the biggest thing he did. Passing, I would say, number two. And then scoring was... He had that big scoring game in the opening one. But, like, overall, he had one of his poorer field goal percent runs. Frankly, that we've seen out of Jokic in, like, three full years of basketball against the Lakers. So they actually kind of defended Jokic okay. But... Michael Porter Jr. was terrific, and Jamal Murray was terrific, and then Aaron Gordon was actually pretty good late, and KCP was good for a few games early in that series. And so Denver got stuff from the other guys in a way that sort of made you look at that team and think, oh, this team this team is robust. Like, they are tough, tough. So then he got to the finals, and the Nuggets basically threw it into cruise control in Game 1 and won it relatively easily. But at the same time, we didn't, you know, we saw the, I like to call it the fastball on this thing. Oh, they threw their fastball. But actually, game one was kind of like the batting practice pitch for both teams. Nuggets didn't try that hard. Heat, I didn't think, tried all that hard. He lost by double digits, but it was kind of like this big meh game for both teams. Nuggets shot the ball well, uh, but, you know, that's just sort of what they do. And then game two, the Heat came back. They hit some shots. They played harder. Nuggets kind of weren't ready for it. It was almost like Game 1 lulled Denver into a, a false sense of security in a way that, I think back to a previous series, the Nuggets nearly blew, remember they nearly blew that 20-point lead against the Lakers in Game 1 of the Western Conference Finals? That blown lead woke them up. That was the moment. These teams are human. That's what we also kind of need to remember. It's very easy to say, oh, well, it's the Finals. Nobody needs any extra motivation. But the human mind is kind of built, even these guys, you know, they're, they're a handful of athletes over, like, eternity that have the gear to overcome the natural inclination to play just hard enough. Because it's hard to push your body to that limit. Michael Jordan was one of those types. Kobe was one of those types. There haven't been that many of those types of, frankly, kind of sociopathic humans in the NBA that that play at a certain gear regardless of the scenario. Most of these guys are ultimately human. And for Denver, they knew that they could win this series playing at a certain level. And game one kind of taught them that they could win this series playing at like a B-minus 
And then Miami came out and hit them with a punch. Denver wasn't able to crank that up to full speed, and they lost game two. But they came into game three after getting slapped in the face and thought, okay, you know what? We're going to have to give it a little bit more than a B-minus effort. Let's go, like, B-plus, A-minus range. And so Denver played harder. They played better. They played smarter. They rebounded way harder here in game three, and they pretty much coasted to a win. Miami also didn't shoot all that well, so that was kind of built into this thing, too. I also mentioned the total on these games is pretty much built on whether or not the Heat hit three-pointers. I think if the Heat hit their threes, this game probably goes over. They didn't, so this game went under. Okay, what about the next one? We pivot towards when the hell's the next ball game tomorrow. I think this is the, what did we talk about earlier this week? This is the one scenario where you only have one day off between basketball games, heaven forbid. Um... And so the game tomorrow, Nuggets are a three-and-a-half-point road favorite. So that's moved up. It was two-and-a-half for game three. And the totals now come all the way down to two ten-and-a-half. And it just sort of keeps dropping as this series goes as we see more and more that this is not actually going to be that fast of a series. Denver had roughly 106, 107 possessions. Miami actually did a wonderful job of not turning the basketball over. They had somewhere in the neighborhood about 105, 106 possessions as well. So you're looking at a pace somewhere in the 212 range. Miami dramatically underperforming their mark yesterday because of shooting only 37%. And actually, not only did they not get to the foul line very much, but they didn't make their free shots as well as they normally do. Shout out Hubie Brown for calling them free shots. I find that hilarious. He's been doing it for however long... Hubie Brown is 114. Uh, I don't know why I haven't started doing it sooner, because I happen to think it's terrific. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Ooh, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. Miami, so there's this, okay, there's this very simplistic way of looking at what do we think is going to happen in game four. Um, you could just sort of simply say you expect Miami to play better, but I don't know that Denver doesn't necessarily have a higher gear also. Like, this game was a good game for Jokic. 32-21-10, and 10, a 30-20-10 game. That's sweet. But Jokic... That's just what he does every game against teams that basically don't have Anthony Davis. And everybody like, oh, he ate Anthony Davis alive. Yeah, I mean, Jokic had a good series against the Lakers. There's no doubting that. But from a field goal percent standpoint, after game one, he was not that dominant in that particular regard. He had some huge shots. The game winner, that 
He also hit that crazy fading, leaning, arcing rainbow three-pointer. But, like, he's toasted most of the league in a way that's been, like, one click higher. So Jokic is just coasting along here. He's cruising, basically, at, like, 30 and 10. And, you know, he had 40 in game two in their loss. Jamal Murray was better here. He's been generally pretty good in the playoffs. But, and Christian Brown had a good ball game. But the Nuggets didn't get much from Gordon, KCP, or most notably Michael Porter Jr. has been extremely quiet in this series. Played a good defensive game in the opener. Yesterday, Michael Malone finally just said, screw this, we're going some other direction. And so Bruce Brown got some extra playing time. Christian Brown, extra playing time. Jeff Green saw a little bit of extra time. And MPJ only got 21 minutes. We're like, look, if you're not going to be able to hit a shot, and, you know, sometimes he can kind of hang in there on defense. Game one was was MPJ kind of hanging in there on defense. Uh, hanging in there isn't good enough if you're not bringing it on offense. So I think as you look at game four, I actually happen to think Denver continues to win. I don't know that they lose another game in these playoffs. Even if Miami shoots the ball better from three-point land, I think that... That probably gets you a close ball game, similar to game two, but maybe not one where Denver's trying to fight from like eight points down in the last two minutes, or something of that nature. Maybe a game that like legitimately is just tight in the last two or three minutes. And then you probably see the kind of, okay, who hits the bigger shot? Jimmy Butler or Nikola Jokic or Jamal Murray? That's what I think is happening in game four. That's It feels like we're kind of, not to say we're due necessarily, but like... The math needs to work itself out. Of course, the problem with this particular playoff series, and basically everyone that the Heat have been involved in, is that, it, to me at least, it feels like it's been easier to handicap the side than the total for Miami because the total has been so dependent, so hinged on whether Miami has one of their 50% three-point shooting games where they hit like 17 of them on 35 tries or, like yesterday, they had 11 of them on whatever it was, around 35 tries, and they don't put up all that many points. Denver, meanwhile, only hit five threes in yesterday's game. They were quite bad from downtown while still shooting 51% from the field overall because Jokic just gets them so many damn good looks. Denver's so hard to slow down. So from a pace standpoint, I don't know that the game gets a whole lot slower from a can they score enough standpoint, it does kind of feel like, you know, again, Miami at 94 points, if Denver puts up 109 again in the next one, which feels eminently doable based on kind of how they got there in this ballgame, Miami probably a few more turnovers, probably also a better field goal percent. You know, this 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 mid-200, this like, this one got to 203. Uh, 203, I could see it going a little bit higher. Again, it's a 210 and a half. I don't know that I'm quite all the way there yet. And so this can be a little bit frustrating for folks that maybe don't bet all the time. But sometimes you just need to wait for your opening. And we're not far from it here in that if you have another low-scoring game in whatever capacity we get there, Denver doesn't score as much, Miami continues to shoot poorly, or maybe the turnovers are higher in the next ball game. that's kind of what you want to set yourself up, to kind of tee up a potential play on the over. Because now, you guys know I like to look at unders. Denver's kind of the only team running through postseasons lately where I don't have a, a strong inclination to start with an under bet and work from there. 
because they do this. They just shoot 50% every game. You're like, oh, well, they can't keep that up. But yeah, they actually can. They kind of can. So it's hard for me to picture Denver scoring less than like 105 to 110. So then you're kind of banking on what does Miami get to? Can they get to a number that pushes this game to the over? I think the answer on this one is maybe. You're pretty close to kind of liking the over again. But not quite all the way there. So this is the sort of setup game. It's sort of a strange way to look at it. But I want you guys to kind of take this in. Kind of slow play it a little bit. Here, let me explain a little further. A lot of folks want to make bets or try to figure out what a, how a game is going to roll just based on almost like a, a desire. I want this to happen, and I want to have action on this game. But if you're really bent on making money through sports wagering, you want to wait for the truly strong spots. Unless you have basically like an unlimited bankroll, because then even if you have the tiniest edge, then you could go, because like, you know, 10,000, whatever it is, a million bets at a a very small edge, you should make a very small profit over a, a really long amount of time. For a lot of us, like me in particular, I'm more of a spot play guy. I like to wait until I've got just this great opportunity, and then I pounce on it. So like... In these playoffs, uh, the Lakers in their first game against the Warriors was a great spot because the Warriors just coming off a seven-game series, they only had one day of rest. That's a big deal. Um, These finals were a little bit different because the Heat had a couple days of rest off their seven-game series. Uh, What was the previous one? It was uh, Boston had a seven-gamer with Philly. I think they only had one day of rest before Miami, or even if it was two Boston, just, again, kind of an unserious playoff team. So, like, there are these spots to attack, and these things pop up during the regular season in other ways as well. Part of what this spot play stuff is, is if you're looking at a series and how a series is developing, you kind of want to wait for a few things, a few kind of unusual things. And then you can fade that. And so here... The unusual, if you want to call it that, is Miami was very, very bad at shooting the basketball. They're not, like, every night great. Fine. But if they're bad a few games in a row, as a series also rolls on, things tend to slow down, you get these under spots that are sort of like small advantages to the under. But at some point, the line then overflips. And so we're now at that point where we're kind of waiting for the overflip. When a line is over-adjusted to something that people have seen that maybe isn't a thing that you expect to bear out based on the numbers. Like, what it, was Miami getting open shots and were they not going down? A lot of that is what you saw in Game 1. Denver wasn't covering Miami all that great. Max Struess, what did he go, like 0 for 10 in that ball game? It's not that he's been outstanding the last two, but he's certainly been better. Duncan Robinson started to hit a few shots in game two. So there's these little things that were sort of built into it where you were able to spot play that. And then now you can kind of look back the other way. Okay, you had game three. Miami couldn't hit their shots. Game was actually relatively slow. Lack of turnovers kind of creating something of a slower pace. 
Now we're inching towards a game that actually should probably go back the other direction. What was the final score of the game on Sunday? 111-108, 219. And it wasn't as though the game was was lightning fast compared to the other ball games. It was just that Miami made more of their shots. By the way, made shots tend to slow a ball game down. Teams made more of their free throws. And so the game inched back up to the over. But there's a very real chance that a you know, 218, 219 pops up here in the next couple of ball games. We don't know exactly when that's going to be. And the reason you want to tee it up is that you want as much wiggle room if something doesn't go exactly according to plan, where maybe you still catch a little lucky break and kind of win the 50-50 game. Okay, you handicapped it. You've got this this room. If Miami hits their three-pointers, you think it's going to get to 218, 219. If they don't, we saw it at 203 last night. Split the difference on that. You're talking about around 211, which is basically what the line is at right now. So that's not quite there yet. When the line was over that, you could say, okay, there's a little bit of room on the under. But now, as the line is moving down with these totals, there's about to be, I would assume, a little bit of room on the over. Unless the game tomorrow is the one where Miami hits a truckload of threes and it goes to like 224 and then the line moves back up a little bit. So that's why you're kind of watching how the line adjusts, not even like in the day and a half before the game starts, but from game to game. Try to think along with the betters, along with the sports book, and find out where perhaps there's a little bit of room to exploit it. As far as the side goes, this is not one I want to get involved in. I do think the Nuggets win this ballgame, but I think it's going to be close late. But clearing three and a half, even in a close ball game, is eminently doable. Also, uh, one, two shot. I mean, you're talking about a made bucket and then some free throws at the end of a game where... Like, sure, I think I'd probably prefer, if you were like, Dan, you got to pick a side here, I'd probably go Miami and take the points. But honestly, if I'm betting either team in this, I'm probably going money line for game four. Because I think the team that, that wins is also the team that covers. Folks, you're now down to 10 days until Father's Day. You are now truly running out of time. Please don't wait anymore. Head to manscaped.com. And use promo code ETHOS20 to get 20% off and free shipping on your order. I'm not even going to go deep on this one. You know I love the Beard Hedger. You know I love the lawnmower. You know I love the luxury nail kit. Go get yours today and make sure it arrives in time for Father's Day. Stop dicking around and go get it done. ETHOS20 is the promo code ethos 20 20% off, free shipping, manscaped.com. So much fun working with those guys. I love the swag, man. They send me so much swag. Now my wife wears the oversized Manscaped t-shirt. That's the night shirt around here. We're just decked out in Manscaped swag. We got their uh, various shampoos and conditioners in our guest shower. If anybody stays over, they can clean themselves with Manscaped stuff as well. Just saying. Just saying. Go check that out. Again, I'm Dan Vesperus for Fantasy NBA Today. Uh, hit me up again if you want to be a part of what we're doing over here. We've had a really uh, significant bump in the number of folks working in our NFL and baseball divisions. We're also looking for folks to round out our dynasty. That's in any sport, really, but uh, certainly NBA. If you want to work with the great Red Bauer, hit me up over on the Twitters, at Dan Vespers. For now, though, this was just a basketball Thursday. Slightly shorter show. Tomorrow we'll dive back into the season review shows, and that'll roll you on through the weekend. Enjoy your Thursday eve of June the 8th. I'll talk to you all again tomorrow. So long for now.